0: Hey everyone, it's Nathan
1: and Emily, and we're this month's host of The Commentarians,
0: and we're here with Joe, and we're here to talk <laughs> over your movie. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to The Commentarians. So, this Prairie Home
1: companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this is,
0: to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right
2: now and go watch Firefly. Hey, it's, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> we
0: are
1: saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals of these wounds.
0: Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Yeah.
2: Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that.
0: Hey everyone, as you heard earlier in the month, we are back with Joe Zaragoza. He was down for a little while, and even though this is technically he wouldn't have missed a spot in the schedule, but we felt like we wanted to welcome him back. Absolutely. Uh, he almost died apparently and avoided it, so I heard he
1: did, like he, for a full eight seconds. Did he?
0: <laughs> did you see anything while you were out, Joe? Uh, I
2: saw a light. <laughs> was Tahiti a uh, magical I place. Heard... Yeah. And I, I, cause I've read in literature, people saying, come to the light. We, you know, we welcome you, but they were like, eh, eh I guess if you want to stay, that'd be cool. That'd be great. If you want to stay, hang back.
0: Did you go to the introvert heaven?
2: Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of avoiding eye contact, you know, a lot of kind of looking away, that kind of thing. Which would be heaven for me <laughs> <No>. <laughs> being an introvert and all, so go ahead <laughs> I,
0: I didn't hear about this dying thing, is that true
2: no 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 okay. I, <laughs> I had they found a tumor it was cancerous, but it was benign I, I don't even know what the what the right term because they're like, oh, was it cancer you like aren't tumors all cancers, but apparently not
0: no some me. some are just growths right, and then your
1: body just went weird.
2: Yeah. And so uh, they removed it. I'm totally fine now. I'm just recovering. So awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, well, we're glad you're recovering and uh, we're glad to have you back on the show. Um, We're not going to do a a long introduction to who you are because anyone who's been listening for a while knows who you are. And if this is your first time to listen, you can listen to the other episodes later and find out more about who Joe is. You can also check him out over at Drinking a Bible Study where um, yep. you really get to know him <laughs> and um, whether you want to or not, uh, <laughs> you will hear things about Joe. So uh, that being said, uh, Joe, uh, in celebration of your return, because you wanted this to be a, a wild party, you picked out The Case for Christ as the movie. Um, <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell us quickly, uh, just real quick, why you picked the movie and then we'll get rolling.
2: Um, well, I... I- I thought that, uh, again, we've spoken about uh, Christian films and how they kind of lack in um, in some talents because they're still evolving and changing and such. I felt that this one is actually pretty good as far as the acting is concerned. And I kind of really liked the idea that this guy who, uh, you know, Elise Strobel, he wrote a book because he wasn't a Christian. He was an atheist, an ardent atheist, and he decided to let, you know, I want to, see, I want to investigate Christ. Mm-hmm. Was he real? You know, does his story check out? And I felt that this was better than other thing uh, than other kind of investigations, because he truly wanted to prove whether Jesus existed or not and whether you could prove that he was the Messiah or not as an, as an objective investigator. And I I thought that that was a good kind of angle to come at it.
1: I think he even came at it as wanting to debunk the idea. Mm -hmm. So I, I I even like that about this movie. Right.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get Roland here because we do have the whole movie to talk about some of those ideas, <laughs> and we will see sure. a lot of that as we go through. So, um, anyone new to commentarians, uh, we do watch the movie together. For those of you who are familiar with us, you know we start at uh, three, two, one, and then we say play on the countdown. and We play on play. So, uh, Joe, are you queued up on zero? I'm on zero. We are queued up on zero. So, I'll go ahead. Um, for those of you who don't who are not set up, go ahead and queue up your movie on zero, and then when you get back, press play, and then on your On the podcast, and then we'll count down together. (laughs) If that is sensical. Sure, why not? So anyway, we assume you've done all that. So three, two, one, play.
2: Okay, Wavy Water, Pure flicks, Shooting Stars, Flash. We good? We're good. good.
0: (laughs) That is a fancy logo.
2: That is a fancy logo. Oh no, the three horsemen of the apocalypse. (laughs) Where's we're missing the fourth one. It's three horsemen, right? <laughs> that oh, was oh four. yeah, that one. Yeah, and I think, I think just... that one broken flag, and they had to shoot it.
1: <laughs> I was it <at> death? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I guess he was defeated, wasn't he? There you go. Well, I think we uh, kind of that's... established <laughs> it's ponies, isn't it? <laughs> well, we we did not establish it's ponies, but, but there has been some some interesting talk about it.
1: My daughter, who's a, actually trains horses, has declared that that is the only correct theological view. <laughs> His ponies <laughs> are of the devil. So <laughs>
0: yeah, if you've been around ponies, you know, they're more cantankerous than a big horse.
1: All right. So <laughs> we've got the skyline and we're kind of getting into the uh, starting with our story. And I want this typewriter, actually. So.
0: Hmm, which one is it?
1: I don't know, but it's got a good sound. If this is sound that goes with the typewriter so
3: (laughs) or you got a good foley anyway so we're starting out and what are we he's what are what
0: is are we starting at the end with this or is this just kind of a montage of random things
1: i think this is just showing how deeply they're in love with each other oh and Mm -hmm. him and his typewriter no (laughs) A girl has been present, too. <laughs> yeah, the house, couple of kids, and, you know, the, the, the American dream. And everything's going to be great and wonderful because they are so like-minded and in sync with each other. And, you know, he's got the great yeah. career. He's got, you know, he's going to win some awards here in a little bit. And, you know, in the ma- meantime, him and his wife get married in definitely 70s. <laughs> definitely
0: <laughs> 70s.
2: Yeah, so so this is based on the book The Case for Christ.
1: Yeah, I actually think this brings in some more autobiographical material than the book had. Yeah.
2: I, it does.
0: Yeah, the the book was I think mainly, well, I mean, it was kind of more of a just presentation of the information that he found during his investigation. And mm-hmm. as we were talking about this a little bit before, it, it's uh you know, he was doing this in uh to try to debunk Christianity, which will again, we, we'll kind of get into some of that. It kind of reminds me, there's a, a guy that one of my friends used to listen to, uh, his name was Gene Scott, Dr. <laughs> yes. Gene Scott, and I don't know much about the guy. Um, he's
1: controversial, than, to say the least. Yeah, I know
0: he's controversial, and I haven't looked at any of his stuff recently to find out what he's been doing. He's um, dead. Is he? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so not much. <laughs> right. Um But I, I just it was just one of those things I I did find it interesting that his story is actually kind of similar to this, that he, although he, he kind of apparently was raised in the faith. And then when he got to college, his professors were like, "Yeah, this whole Jesus thing is not, I was going to say kosher, but that's not the right word, Um, (laughs) that it's not, not, not cool. And so he kind of renounced his faith and then decided he was going to, Disprove Christianity because he got a job as a fruit inspector and only worked five minutes out of every hour at this factory. And the rest of the time he just spent doing research trying to disprove the resurrection. <laughs> and uh, then he became a pastor.
1: <laughs> I think that's actually a pretty common story. I, I think a lot of us who wind up um, kind of the most ardent defenders or most involved in sharing our faith, we, we tend to start out as
0: skeptics or go through a skeptical phase or a, a wannabe skepti- skeptical phase
2: <laughs> Yeah um cuz again I like the idea that um well, the the problem that i had with the book is that again he was an, an atheist he wanted to debunk it so he went to talk to the christians who were who had the evidence for christ mm-hmm. And so he wanted to hear them out and as an investigator, really investigate this as a, um, you know, as you would any kind of case.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I, I, I felt that in the book, he came off as more of a already a Christian trying to prove the existence of Christ. That's how he kind of came off as as a character, mm-hmm. even though all the information was really, really good. You
3: know,
2: well, I and think so I in the movie. Go ahead.
1: It, well, as you can say, I think part of that's because the book was kind of written in retrospect, right? And so, yeah, yeah, the movie kind of goes back and fills in some of those blanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. So and
1: me, so,
2: what I like to. Oh, sorry about that.
0: We keep no, no uh, the scene right here, Mickey and I just uh, finished uh, our our first responder training for our school like a little bit before we watched this, and right. You know, we had to like, I mean, we're not like first responders, but, you know, like CPR and Heimlich maneuver and stuff like that. We're like, hurry, <laughs> put your fist in the belly. <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah,
2: no, no. And yeah, and we should mention this if, for those who aren't watching is that, the, uh, you know, Lee Strobel, his wife and his daughter are at a restaurant and the daughter started choking and a nurse shows up and helps her. And, you know, the wife is, like, thanking the nurse, oh, you had, you know, you saved her life. And, you know, this is so—I'm so lucky that you were here. And the nurse makes the point that, yeah, it wasn't really luck. We weren't going to come and eat here, but something told me to come here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was Christ. Jesus told me to come here, and now I know why. And this couple, they're not believers. Right. right. Lee Strobel, he's an ardent atheist, and uh, the his wife though is eh, kind of on the fence. isn't a believer, but you know isn't completely against the idea. Right.
1: I think that kind of happens. I I know, particularly for women, that when you have kids, it's almost like you have to have some greater hope to kind of keep you going. So and you you know to protect your kids and and make sure they're okay. So I think. Women with children, and I'm not saying that this is the only way that you, you get there, but I think it's one route to, to wanting to experience more on a spiritual level and to have that security. And uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes women get dismissed in their spirituality, because there's this idea, oh, well, you're just, you know, you want the, to hope for good things for your kids. And so, of course, you're going to believe something. Yeah,
0: well, well, I mean, you even get, <laughs> I mean, you, you get the, the argument is, oh, well, you're just being emotional. Right, and, or
1: hysterical if you really want to <laughs> yeah, sure. jab the knife in. <laughs> well, which
0: is, which yeah. is really funny to me because, I mean, so, some of the, the theological side, whenever you start <laughs> talking to some of the people about disagreeing with their theological views, oh, well, you're just being emotional. <laughs> so it, it really is like, it, it's kind of a go-to with, uh, well, with both sides of the argument.
1: And this movie does bring it out because later on she is going to talk about how a lot of the stuff is just something she felt. And, you know, unfortunately, that's one of the things with Christianity, it kind of comes down to that, it is a lot of times it is just something you feel, and yeah. you can't really explain it.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and which, is, which is kind of interesting coming from you, who is one of the <laughs> most scholastic, who, you're, you're one of the most scholastic people I know in person, you know, so that, that's kind of funny.
1: Well, you know, I know lots of facts, but not all of them are life-changing. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and that's kind of like where I kind of came to it. Um I it kind I the some of the best evidence that I have that uh, that proved to me that God is real and that Christ is Messiah and that he's died for my sins is it just I, I felt it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's it's just something that I that's driven me there emotionally and spiritually. I can't explain it to somebody who doesn't believe i can't prove it to them through discussion or evidence it, it kind of has to be like you kind of had to be there <laughs> is what well, it comes I, down to.
1: I think that's one of the things this movie does well it, it kind of there's the the need for the presentation of uh of uh, evidence but at the same time there is the the acceptance that there is an emotional component to it and so you kind of have those two right. ideas playing off each other in the movie. And in the end, they don't negate each other. So you can have both the, the, um, the facts making the case, but ultimately it comes down to that personal experience.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's kind of like the, the difference. Uh, what I like about the movie, what I like more about the movie was that he's actually he doesn't want to believe. He's actually right. a, a a skeptic and he's trying like he he's more believable as an atheist in the in the movie as he he's more yeah than he is in the book. Which is uh-huh. fine because in the book it's just presenting the evidence.
1: Right. Well, I, what I do like about this cuz evidently Strobel was pretty involved in making this movie and he made the decision to, um, kind of be as close to, to as realistic as possible. And I know there's like some composite characters and a few names have been changed, but overall, um, everybody has said that this is pretty close to the situation and even who Mm -hmm. he was at that time. And, you know, he didn't try to present himself better than he was, uh, as some kind of, um, you know, great hero or anything. He, he he was very realistic with who he was, and at the same time, I don't think they sensationalized it a lot, because I I think that one of the things that we as Christians really like is that that Cinderella story of the believer. You know, the guy who was the drug addict living in the streets, and then he meets Jesus, and everything becomes better. And Struble's story is not that,
3: right?
1: He, you know, he's got some um. Character flaws, it might be a way to put it. Uh, some mm-hmm. Anger issues, might drink too much, but he's not anybody that we wouldn't feel comfortable associating with on a day to day basis. I think, right.
3: I, I can see that. I'm sorry, I don't have <laughs> much to add right now.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, I do find, again, as a watching it as a film, objectively as a critic or whatever, uh, I do find kind of the the christian moments that his wife has the discussions that she has with about faith with her friend mm-hmm. they are they do come across as kind of corny so i i think that still christians do have a hard time presenting their faith or discussing faith in a realistic way in film i think that that that's kind of still something that they're working on
0: well i mean to be fair most of most christians uh that I come across on the internet have a hard time discussing faith in realistic ways on Facebook. So,
3: yeah,
1: (laughs) well, how do you, how do you discuss that? I mean, uh, this is something I wrestle with because I don't like cheesy. I don't do cheesy. I don't do romance. I don't do, you know, the things that all the girls are supposed to love. Uh, I, I just, that's not my thing. And so I, the whole vocabulary of faith and that that experience of faith, I don't like even saying it to my husband, you know, I mean, even in that that romantic context. And if I'm going to say, you know, romantic things to my husband, if I recount them to somebody else, it's going to sound cheesy. And you kind of have to be in that moment for the words not to sound weird. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think if somebody can ever manage to capture that, they are just a highly gifted writer director, actor, whatever, but it's going to take something i I don't know because i I listen to most watch me set Nathan's views off most worship songs these
3: days <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and go where's the theology so you know because the the Jesus is my boyfriend worship song just does
0: nothing for me, so yeah no i I get that i have uh, yeah, the whole i and it's not even it's not even like i'm I'm saying we need to have like super heady. You know, theology tried to, you know, trying to shoehorn super heady theology into bad poetry or, or awkward prose set to a strange melody. I mean, because I've seen both of those things done right. just terribly. I mean, it, I mean, it, and the, and the other, okay, okay. Oh. I told you I was going to say this for <laughs> You so not Do this to me. <laughs> um, shouldn't do this to me while there's a mic in front of me. But there is, yeah. But my problem is even this, like, flowery fluffy verbiage that's coming out of uh most mm-hmm. christian songwriters these days it's not most of it's not even musically good <laughs> there's not even like it's like this semi-melodic <laughs> forgettable drony something that's barely music and i'm gonna shut up sure. because we have a movie to talk about
1: but, but that's what most christian <laughs> movies wind up being is the the visual equivalent of that and I think that's why Joe picked this. This does actually stand up as a movie and maybe not, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings kind of way, but you know, it's a nice little biopic. Yeah. And I do like the fact that they juxtaposed, uh, we saw it just a minute ago that he, Lee is still, or Strobel still working on his investigative reporting. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this nice little juxtaposition of him being that investigative journalist and realizing, you know, what he's doing with gathering the facts and the evidence and attempting to put together this story along with his discovery of Christianity mm-hmm. and how those two themes kind of play off each other in the movie. I think we're well done
2: and that that's something that he does in the book and i think and i really really like that in the book is that every chapter starts off with an investigation that he wrote about mm-hmm. a you know and so he go he talks about a case in which eyewitnesses uh you know solved a case mm-hmm. or where the physical evidence solved the case and he and when he does that he, he kind of goes into the chapter in which eyewitness accounts show that Jesus actually existed or the physical evidence showed that Jesus was a real person. Mm -hmm. And so I, I I thought that that was done really well. And that's shown in this movie. There's a case in which a police officer got into a physical confrontation with a suspect and uh, the officer ended up getting shot. And, you know, there's no real, you know, there's a lot of evidence that the criminal that he was wrestling with shot him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and the, but the suspect keeps saying, I didn't shoot him. I, I didn't hold a gun. I, I, I didn't do this. But
1: Yeah. And, and trying to work through that. And there was a great little line there. Uh, you know, his wife is pregnant in the film and he he attributes her newfound interest in spirituality to being pregnant and so
0: yeah like we talked about before except this time instead of you're being emotional you're being hormonal (laughs) precisely
1: and i i do love the fact she she acknowledges that this is weird and kind of like we were just talking about she just kind of hang a lantern on it it's going to be weird and i I, that may be one of the better ways to handle some of these awkward conversations in movies is just acknowledge the fact that it, it sounds strange
0: yeah well and and that's one of the things that I really love about kind of the approach that you and I have and and also Joe, I think you kind of share this too is you recognize that uh that, that we all recognize that outside of if you're not in the faith, if you're not part of the faith, mm-hmm. what we do does look and sound really strange
3: yeah and
1: I don't think a lot of us who who are especially those of us who grew up in the faith and those who, who are actively involved, I don't think we realize how bizarre it looks from the outside. And yeah. I think this is kind of a good, this maybe is a good reminder to stop and really think about what it would be like for somebody on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't have that same perspective unless you've had the experience.
0: Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, I was listening to an exchange between a couple of other uh, uh, Christian podcasters and one was on one side of a issue and one was on the other. And they were somewhere in the the conversation. It came up that, you know, when Jesus says you have to drink, drink my blood and eat my flesh, that it, you know, people, people who didn't understand what he was saying might consider, might think of that as it might sound cannibalistic. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the one who responded to that said that, said that that, Thought and that statement was absurd. That no one ever thought of Jesus' statement (laughs) like that. And I'm like, well, no. There have been people who have thought of it that way, and it's just it shows how disconnected uh, some some of us tend to be whenever we get into it. That what we do is normal, and you know, and, and this is the way that it should be, and people should just understand what Jesus was saying. And it's it's a not
1: always bit of hubris, that easy i think
3: yeah <laughs> not always that easy
2: i I I, you know, I I should point out here um yeah it's something that in the, that the show in the movie is that he does drink a lot
3: and
2: mm-hmm. and it's something that it's a t it's a movie trope that always bothers me and so this movie isn't the only guilty uh, you know guilty you know, right. isn't the only thing guilty of, of this But when he's sitting at the bar drinking, he has all the bottles he's been drinking on the (laughs) counter next to him. And it always bothers me that every movie does that. Bartenders take the bottles away.
3: Yes. (laughs) You know, when
2: you're done with them. But, you know, and again, this isn't the only movie that does it. Every movie does that. But yeah, it always bugs me.
0: I'll say and I am I have yet to see a bartender leave a bottle at a bar in real life
1: yeah we liked our tips so yeah you keep the empties cleared away so that they don't remember and buy more
0: this is well no i'm just saying now you like leave a well i guess you're talking about beer bottles yeah i was thinking of like liquor bottles (laughs) oh yeah i've never seen that (laughs)
1: no no that's old west thing but (laughs) no yeah that's i will confirm no bartender worth your salt will leave any bottles that are empty or a liquor bottle. So for Christians who haven't been to a bar.
3: Yeah.
2: So after an argument with his wife about her finding faith, he goes to a buddy of his who Mm -hmm. is an atheist and he has lots of books on atheism. What I really, really appreciate here is that this guy isn't telling him, Oh, they got your wife. Ah, I hate those Christians. He's he doesn't believe and he's he, he has the evidence. He has a lot of evidence that prove that Jesus wasn't real, that there is no God. But he's telling him, you got to think about your marriage mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Do you want to do this? Because she's your wife. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and He's you, actually
1: you, a very respectable and likable person. Right. And I, I did like that because so often uh, the, you know, there's so many Christian movies where the atheist is the big, horrible boogeyman who's trying to get you to drink his Kool-Aid. And, See, God's not
0: dead. Uh, yeah.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which there's an episode of that. Uh, but yeah, so I did. I did appreciate that because I think so often, you know, we kind of were guilty of, of painting this 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 image that that just, it inspires hate and distrust and, and fear in Christians so that they don't reach out to people of a different faith or, or belief system. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. And so I think if we provide more realistic representations of people of different faith in our, in our movies and work, then maybe we can help Christians actually engage in inappropriate ways and not in those defensive ways that says you're, you know, you're a horrible person, so I can't be around you because I've seen that in the Christian community.
0: Yeah, well, and it, and it can be, it can be really isolating too, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people who maybe have left a church mm-hmm. um, and they haven't found a, a new church home that that to plug into that. It's, it's almost intimidating to invite someone into your home when, you know, when you know they don't share your faith, but well, I just lost all my friends because of leaving this church. So who can I trust? Who can I have over? Well, I don't want to make too close of friends with the the atheist or the pagans or whoever, because <laughs> then then what am I doing? I'm putting my my trust in someone else. And, I, you know, I, I think that that's an aspect that tends to get overlooked, is that instead of growing closer to other people so that you can actually make a, an impact in their lives. You're, you're basically telling people to isolate themselves.
1: Yeah. Now we and we just had our scene where I loved it. The, the Christian that he consults with, um, you know, tells him if you're going to investigate this, investigate the foundational issue. It, mm. it goes straight for the jugular. That's the words he used that, you know, if the resurrection did not happen, then the whole thing a, is a house of cards. And this is where I have a problem with a lot of progressive um, Christianity is this idea that the the resurrection was a metaphor. It it, it cannot be a metaphor. I, I, you know, I'll fight tooth and nail on that one. It it has to be an actual literal fact. And that's that's the core of our belief. That's the core of our faith. And we need to be hanging on to that. And we need to be just like this guy on the movie was, I forget his name. uh, Let people scrutinize, let people question it. We don't have to defend it and and try to convince people we can leave it open for investigation. And so, uh, you know, and this is this is what happens, of course, in this movie is through the course of that investigation and not trying to, to, you know, get him to quit asking questions, but encouraging him to ask questions, now he, he's able to move forward and actually accept Christianity as valid. So
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Um, that's, and, and that's kind of something, yeah, I, and my other podcast, I, you know, my co-host is a progressive Christian, so she doesn't believe that there was a resurrection. She believes that Jesus existed, but doesn't believe that he actually died and rose again. And, you know, then that's kind of the crux of that podcast. Mm -hmm. What bothers me is that everything that we read about progressive Christianity uh, is that they say that the idea of the resurrection didn't come up until hundreds of years later, that the idea of a uh, of a substitutional atonement that didn't develop until hundreds of years later. And that's just not true.
0: Have they read Paul's letters?
2: Exactly. I'm just curious the about evidence, that. Yeah, right. Because the biggest evidence that Jesus existed as a person on earth are the letters of Paul. Mm-hmm. And he constantly talks about the resurrection. He constantly talks about the atonement. Whether you believe Jesus was the Messiah or not, you can say that, you know, there's no evidence that he really was. And that okay, but we know... That Jesus existed as a person, historians and anthropologists, right? You know, believe this because of Paul's letters, and Paul, who existed in the time of Jesus, mm-hmm. talks about the resurrection, talks about he he sets up the Christian faith as being based on his death and resurrection and atonement for our sins.
0: So well, and, and Paul even says if Christ was not resurrected, then our faith is nothing. And you know. Right. Well,
1: and, and so just just to clarify what, what I'm gonna restate kinda of what Joe said, it whether or not Paul's letters prove an actual resurrection is kind of beside the point. But the significance of the resurrection is affirmed in Paul's letters. So this is mm-hmm. not a later development. And I just really wanted to bring that little point out because, you know, what you were saying, I I absolutely agree with Joe. I just thought I don't want anyone to lose it because that's that's the thing. Yes, we have these people who want to say just yesterday I had somebody say, well, if you can't look at the original autographs and manuscripts, then, (laughs) you you know, um, I don't know where the original autographs are or the manuscripts of the New Testament or Old Testament. are. We, We don't have those. But as uh, I believe it's in this conversation, actually, the, or in one of the conversations soon, we talk about how many manuscripts we have of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And these are not tiny numbers. This isn't two or three little scraps of papyrus that are out there, papyrus, that are out there um, floating around. We have so much textual ev- evidence that not only is the New Testament one of the most widely read documents of the ancient world, it's one of the most well-preserved documents of the ancient world. And it, it's, it's amazing when you really look at the evidence, because I think so often online, we, we get this idea that there's, you know two or three versions that have little in common with each other, that don't have, um, that there's a lot of discrepancies is what we're told, that there's uh, none of them are alike. Mm-hmm. That is so false. And the the differences that are in the manuscripts, which, by the way, you can actually buy books that tell you what each difference in each manuscript is. You can order on Amazon. It's not a problem for anybody to get their hands on. It's out there. But like there is a little mark in, in Greek that goes over the top of the first letter to tell you how to breathe, whether you should have a h sound in a word and sometimes that little mark gets left off and textual critics are so concerned with detail they will let you know that some manuscripts don't have that so when they say (laughs) there's discrepancies and differences this is some of what they're talking about
0: right
2: which you
1: know i can't write my phone number without messing up one letter or one number see i can't (laughs) yeah i can't even talk about it so
2: (laughs) (laughs) well but but and that's the thing is that Yes, we have evidence that there are discrepancies, that there are things that change, that people try to change things. But the reason we know that is because we have so much original text. And I'm not I'm not saying the first, right. uh, or, you know, the You're yeah. right. But we have so much, you know, to compare them to. We know that they tried to change it because we have what they tried to, to uh, copy it from. And we have so much to compare, you know, two different texts that say pretty much the exact same thing.
1: Well, and most of the things that were changed, um, there's a story at the, um, in John about the man by the pool. And basically what was changed in that story from the original oldest versions of it, there was a scribe who's like, this story doesn't make any sense. We need to add a sentence to clarify for people who lived outside of our, outside of our region and help them understand what's going on here. Now the scribe was wrong, and he shouldn't have done that. But we can, like you said, we can go back to all these other manuscripts that don't have that sentence in there that the scribe added by way of explanation. It wasn't malice; it was an attempt to help the text out. And yeah. so that's that's what a lot of the the um, the changes were were just an attempt to to help. A reader who may not be from that original culture understand, and so it. it, I think sometimes we need to stop and realize that the intent was not deception; it was actually to bring clarity.
0: Yeah, and 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 that one change just kind of got adopted as it was Mm -hmm. copied along.
1: Yeah, particularly when uh, the King James picked it up, and so you know, according to most Protestants, uh, King James is the gospel.
0: I, I don't think it's most anymore. I think that the KJV only crowd, I think that. Is it shrinking? It's been waning significantly since, you know, the 80s.
1: Well, this is good. Now, I love, don't, you know, no letters. I love the King James for what it accomplished, and I'm glad it was available to lots of people. So I'm, yeah. not, I, I'm not knocking it. It was a great work for its time. Yeah. But we have better sources today. Sorry while I geek out just a little bit.
2: <laughs> no, no, I get that. And again, I'm. I'm the dum dum in this group. I I don't uh do I, I I don't know as much as other scholars and you know uh, followers of Christ. But one of the things that convinces me that this is real, that the original text matters, is that the Bible has been in the hands of awful people, right? Terrible, horrible people. They. They used it to oppress mm-hmm. and to hurt and to kill. But at no point did they try to change it. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Why, if I'm a dictator and I want to oppress people and have people follow me, and I want to use a, an invisible deity to give me more power, why wouldn't I take out the things that, that disprove that I'm doing the, the right thing? Why wouldn't I take things out? Why wouldn't I add things that prove that what I'm doing is right? I, I, and that's, that seems to me, over the hundreds and thousands of years that we've had this, why hasn't it been changed? It almost seems supernatural to me.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah. That's a very good point. I like that. Well, and this is the reason why we
1: need people who, uh, you called yourself the dum dum. You're, you're not a dum dum, but we need people. <laughs> Who who, I've been living with this stuff for a while, for, for over a decade now. This has kind of been my mind candy and bread and butter. So when I have somebody from the outside, when I say outside, outside of academia come in and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. Now you're making me take this into account, into my own formulation. And that's why the, the conversations are so important, because right. I don't have that perspective. I never would have thought of of that argument, but it's a really good and strong argument that I think needs to be, you know, if we're going to be honest, we, we need to answer that, especially if you're trying to, to debunk the Bible, so to speak.
3: Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: A couple, a couple of things I think is always interesting. It, it always kind of seems to me that, um, and this might sound a little insulting and I don't mean it to be, but it, it does seem to me that almost every time I, I see someone who is, bringing up objections about the bible number one i've heard most of them i mean not not to i mean i'm not trying to sound super intelligent but it's it's funny to me how it almost always seems like that person always thinks they're the first person to think of this objection and every time it and we have evidence historically of people going through a lot of this stuff now on the other side of this, I will say, th- we do have the Christians on the other side who um, want to pick up Lee Strobel's book, and it's it's a fantastic resource, and I think it's a great starting place for a lot of people, because some Christians, number one, don't understand that these e- objections exist. Mm-hmm. But I have run across some people, it's like, whenever they try to argue with atheist, they basically have taken a chapter out of Lee Strobel's book and condensed it to a Single phrase, and to just kind of lob that at <laughs> at people as 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 though it's the whole argument, and and then feel you know condescending that this person's not getting their argument.
1: Well, and honestly, we cannot appeal to scripture as a means of evidence if that person does not see the Bible as authoritative authoritative in their life. So we they kind of right. have to we have to allow them to sort through all of the evidence and and you know, we have to be okay with letting God do his thing. And
0: well, and now I will say this, and this has been kind of interesting because, uh, Heiser actually kind of mentioned this when he was talking about the, when he his intro to the Exodus series that we have, you know, we have mythologized history is what is mm-hmm. what the technical term. And that's basically history that includes, uh, real events with the interaction of a deity. And he kind of talks about how, regardless of, of what they say about God moving here, here and there, the major historical events can still be reliable without the behind the scenes or the backdrop mm-hmm. of, the, of the theologized uh, thoughts on the action. So you can still say, you know, as a historical document, these things, these events, you can look at them and say they took place.
1: Well, the Trojan War. For years, it was believed that that was just another Greek myth. Now mm-hmm. we know that Troy did exist, and there were battles there, and so the the core was there. So we see this not just with uh, our our faith history, but with with even ancient Greek Greece and some other um, cultures. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of you know distracted because there's a movie going on. And um, okay, number one, I'm jealous of this guy's library. <laughs> I want this yeah, office. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and this is, to me, this is one of the great conversations that, honestly, when you start having this conversation with people who have gotten all of their history information off the internet, they want to reject it right off because they cannot imagine that, I want to speak of the treasure war right there, Homer's Iliad. He's holding up an actual piece of parchment right there with, um, yeah, the part of the story and some illustration. And I would love to have something like that. But anyway, (laughs) so yeah, (laughs) so 1,500 copies roughly of the Iliad. That's nothing compared to what we have of, of the Greek manuscripts. And plus they aren't as close, I mean, I think he winds up saying it's 1100 years from the time that the events that that is based on until it was written, you know, so right. 1100 years. I think Alexander the Great, the closest we have of his documented life, which most people do accept as actual historical fact is mm-hmm. 200 years. Uh, so Jesus, you know, his autobiography is much closer to his biography yes biography i I wish we had an autobiography can you imagine (laughs) i think he'd need a bigger library uh so (laughs) it's still early here in oklahoma folks and so yeah so to realize that this these stories are being written so close to the time that he lived is huge we don't have any other historical figure that we have both the the volume of work mm-hmm. and, and that close connection time-wise. It just, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Five copies of Aristotle, of anything yeah. Aristotle, Aristotle's written. And yet we all attribute um, him, you know, all of his work to him and don't have a problem with that.
2: Yeah. Again, as, as far as historians and anthropologists are concerned, that's enough to show that Aristotle probably existed mm-hmm. you know five manuscripts and and because that's how we do things we We collect the works that we have and we say, well, if there's this much evidence, then we can make the assumption that this actually was there, mm-hmm. that this person was there, that this person wrote this, and you know mm-hmm. and if we compare that to what we have of the gospels of the letters of the apostles. It is overwhelming.
1: Absolutely. Now we, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say we have the the of Turin reproduction that he's looking at, so I was going to ask you guys what y'all thought about the Shrad of Turin. Real fake? Any major opinions? Put you both on the spot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Now I have seen a reproduction of it. Um, it's actually out on i-40. Uh, if you go if you drive down i-40 <laughs> across texas so <laughs> joe if you ever decide you want to carpool or a road trip out this way uh you'll see it's the largest cross in the western hemisphere of course it's in texas of course right and sure. um, next to the largest ball of string uh yeah <laughs> something like that I, I don't think that's in texas though is it no it's not um but uh I almost stopped off to see the world's largest golf tee once, but the, uh, the park was closed, but that's a whole different story. But if you go to the, the largest cross in the Western hemisphere, um, specifically, um, it's got uh, a little shroud of Turin reproduction in the gift shop. I think it's in the gift shop or isn't the tomb. It might be in the tomb. Cause you go, it's got the life-size bronze sculptures of the stations of the cross, which is pretty cool. Uh huh. Um, then you you see the shroud of Turin reproduction, and I just don't know what to make of it. I it to me it 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 seems like uh it would be kind of cool if it was real, but I think there's been it's it's been dated and checked and all this stuff so many times that it doesn't seem to to matter.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't you know if you want to believe that it it really. it, you know that that it's actually the shroud of jesus that's fine i don't see enough evidence to suggest that it is but it doesn't matter at the end of the day
0: yeah he's not using it anymore anyway
2: (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) yeah i i i'm kind of on the same page as y'all uh it would be super awesome if it is real and to think that we would have an artifact like that um I don't know if I buy all the conspiracy theories about oh well they dated it from the wrong spot or from a patch or what have you, um, and then the, then it's kind of got some weird pollen that actually puts it from being in that area, but from what time period? So, uh, yeah, it would be cool if it is. If not, my my faith doesn't rise or fall by its authenticity.
0: Yeah, it's one of those one of those weird like. It's 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 not even close to central. I mean, it, to me, it's to me, it's like uh, anymore, it's like evolution versus six day creationism. <laughs> something it, I'm know. not going to debate. It's it's something. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna debate and hang my faith on it anymore because I I'm pretty sure that's not the point of Genesis. Right there with you.
2: <laughs> yeah. If we yeah, let's get back to the movie here. What I really <laughs> love about it. Are these arguments? They seem real. As you know, I brought mm-hmm. up before. It's, I kind of find it a little corny when, uh, when his wife talks to her friend about faith and and they pray because it's really hard to get that right. But these marriage arguments, I find really kind of like arguments that I've had, <laughs> and they make me feel uncomfortable sometimes because of the <laughs> things that they say. And,
3: See, and
1: I thought they were a little subdued, but that may be telling too much about myself.
2: <laughs> but, well, that's true. <laughs> I, I For think, a Christian movie, I think that they do a good job.
1: Yeah, I, I think she, I mean, if she was this gracious during these arguments, uh, man, she is, she's an amazing woman. Because... Yeah, she's the
2: Christian wife we want because she does not say things that that she should or that I've heard of women <laughs> say to me, <laughs> deservingly. <laughs>
1: Well, and he's being he's being a jerk here. And no, yeah, in his defense, she I think she's making the mistake that a lot of new believers make is you know she's kind of been in his face with this and kind of pushing him. Um, you know, she had at one point there was a note on the mirror: uh, "God loves you, so do I. I." I mean, seriously, if my husband, even as a believer, he left me you know that note on the mirror, I would. Probably just roll my eyes and go on about my day. Uh, so, but again, I don't do squishy feeling emotions. So, um, you know, if I had this going on in my house, I would probably be a little irritated, irritated too. And I love talking about God and the Bible and all of this, but you know, I, I she might be, you know, what am I trying to say? Don't want to say heavy handed, but maybe just a little, a little much.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, that's I mean, she I, and
0: neither one of us. Well, I mean, well, i say neither one of you. You've been in a similar situation uh, of being a believer with a non-believing spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've never been in that situation. But I would I would think that if. If I were in that situation, I would be fairly concerned about my spouse and would want them to come to
2: faith. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, and that, and that's kind of the other reason why I have mixed feelings about this movie overall, because uh, there's another movie and I meant to look up the name of it. It was a Christian film about a wife who saves her marriage um, through the power of prayer. And it was kind of put out there as kind of this formula that if you are that, that believing spouse, I think it was called like War Room or something like that.
0: That Sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. um,
1: that, you know, if you were the believing spouse, then you just needed to pray harder and your spouse is going to be saved. And mm-hmm. if, if, you know, your spouse isn't saved, then obviously you didn't have enough faith and you didn't pray hard enough. And so I have to bear in mind that this is, um, this is Lee Strobel's uh, story. This is Leslie Strobel's story. And this is what they experienced. And this is not a blueprint for how to save your marriage through faith. And ultimately, Lee had the choice whether or not he was going to accept the evidence he found or reject it. Mm. And he had to make that choice. But Leslie was not going to, you know, arm twist him or put him in a headlock and and force him to make this decision. So I, I do want to point that out. You know, we need to be careful not to take one person's experience as normative and say that this is you know, you follow and do what she did, then everything's going to work. Okay. I don't think we can make that promise as Christians. Oh yeah. So it's just, it, it's, it scares me as sometimes, um, just to be honest, whenever we have Christian movies, make it just too simple because it, it's not.
2: Yeah. I, I kind of make, bring that up sometimes that uh, with a lot of Christian movies, we, we as Christians kind of, uh, Hate the uh, prosperity gospel Mm -hmm. pastors who tell us that, oh, if you pray, if you believe enough, then everything's going to be okay. And as much as Christians mock them, they flock to prosperity gospel movies where they tell them, oh, if you pray hard enough, if you try hard enough, your marriage will work out. Mm -hmm. If you pray hard enough, if you try hard enough, then the person you want to convert will convert. Okay. or your life will get better. And I, I don't, I, that doesn't happen. We live in the real world where we live in a world of chaos and mystery and bad things happen. And sometimes things don't get better. Mm-hmm. And I think that we don't believe in God because he'll fix things. We believe in God because he'll be there for us when that happens.
1: Right. Well, I I'm, I'm totally with you. You know, God is not obligated to fix things just because we say the right prayer or the you know give enough or whatever it is, do the right little ritual. Uh, what's the beautiful thing about our God is He redeems all things, and even yeah. if uh, their marriage would have completely fallen apart, I believe God still could have redeemed that situation to His glory, while allowing Leslie and Lee to to you know continue in their journey, whatever that may have looked like otherwise in the choices that they made. So I just, it's, I'm with you on the, the, the idea. I think, you know, I think it's the Cinderella story for Christians. It's our version of that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you just have the right dress and the right shoes and you know, it's, you're going to get happily ever after. And God kind of gets treated like that very Godmother. And as much as we know that that may not be completely theologically sound, we still like the idea of it, just like we like the, the fairy tale. We know that the fairy tale is not going to be true in real life. We still like the idea of it. And so right. I think we got to be careful there to, to uh, make that distinction between what we would want and what is.
3: That's fair.
2: I think. Yeah. So he, he talked to a, um, a guy earlier and he asked him about the Gospels. The four different versions, because there, there are four different versions mm-hmm. of the resurrection. Right. And that's what people kind of bring up as, you know, why are things different? And it bothered me when I first became a Christian. There were several women saw him. One woman saw him. I think in Mark, it's a postscript. Like the resurrection is right. literally just added on.
1: <laughs> Which may or may not be actually part of Mark to begin with, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> right. And so... Can we historically take that into account as evidence? And I'm not, I'm not saying, does this prove that Jesus is the Messiah? But as Christians, if we're going to use it to prove the existence of Christ, and not just that, but take it to look far enough to say that he resurrected,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: can we do that as historians, objectively speaking? Can we use that as evidence that Jesus existed and that he resurrected?
1: Well, and I I think that the the multiple accounts actually, and you're going to, it's in the movie, but you're also going to hear it from any kind of textual critic that this is actually more proof. I mean, if we had four identical documents, why would we need the four gospels? We could have put one in and been done. Yeah. And, And so the fact that we do have these. And Luke says that he wasn't there. He he actually went and did interviews and tried to uh, hear the story from multiple people and put the uh, facts into an orderly account. So he, he wasn't there. Um, and for him to hear the story from various people who were there and, you know, I don't know if you, you know, you go to a, a party and if you're at a party and you're mingling how many times do you find out, oh, well, so-and-so was there, but you didn't see him because, you know, he was in a different part of the building or, uh, you know, you just didn't cross paths at night. So, you know, everybody who goes to a party is going to have a different experience of that event. Maybe they ate hors d'oeuvres, you know, that were on one side of the room versus hors d'oeuvres on the other side of the room. It doesn't mean that they weren't at the party and that's okay. And I I think we've got to be okay with the fact that it's not point by point identical
2: yeah right it, it doesn't it's not as accurate as we would like it but at some point we have to accept that yeah it's it, it's not they're not copies of one another right they're just people writing what they heard people writing what they feel happened and on some level that kind of proves that it might have happened <laughs>
1: Well, Matthew, Mark and John were, were all apostles. And so mm-hmm. they they were there after the resurrection and the appearance. And then, you know, Luke was a traveling companion with Paul. And so, you know, we we've got people who said I was at the party. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what the main course was. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, yeah,
0: and and Luke collected his stuff from various eyewitnesses and
1: we think he even interviewed uh, a lot of the women. Uh, who were there so we think you interviewed a, even uh, mary mother of jesus and some of the other women and the fact that he would actually stop and take their stories seriously which uh, that's another point that's brought up in the movie that why in the world would you ask a woman for her account in this culture
3: yeah
2: probably because that's all they had and at the time maybe they were hesitant to use them but if that's all they have that's all they had and at the end of the day, it actually shows that you know, if I'm going to tell the story to prove it, I'm going to use I'm, I'm not going to use women to prove this, just culturally speaking at the time, right. they're not the ones that you ha- that you can trust. but historically speaking, it kind of shows that if that's all they had, then it kind of proves that it may have happened. You can't deny that because they wouldn't have used it otherwise. If they were lying, they would have all tried to come together and, you know, sync their watches together and try to make this as accurate as possible. Mm -hmm. Or as or try to show that this is as closely what we all agreed upon was the real story. Yeah. But the fact that they all make human errors in how they retell the story kind of shows that, yeah, it probably did happen.
0: Yeah. what What was that John Travolta movie? Um, years back where there was the lady who was sent in to investigate this, uh, squad of mercenaries and the, everyone kind of ended their, you know, as everyone was kind of confessing that it was a conspiracy, they were all, they would all say, you know, you just got to tell the story, right? Yeah. And I can't remember what that was called.
2: I think it was a general's daughter.
0: No, was the, it was, that, that was a different one. I can't remember what it was. I need to look that up. You know what I'm talking about.
1: I, I um, can. Mom see. Mom loved it. Yeah, Mom I can, thought it was a
0: great movie. Oddly enough, right? Action film. <laughs> but um, the uh, no, I was actually uh, Joe. As you were you were talking about that, um, with the having the the women as witnesses and how you know that's not who you would use to prove it if if you were trying to fabricate things and that was the uh, I was listening to to this guy talk about the 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 Bible as as different genres of literature, and they were talking about in the Gospels where they talk about Jesus walking on water, and how one of the disciples says, "Well, it's a ghost." Well, the thing is, in Greek culture, Greco-Roman culture, ghosts can't cross water, and so, you know, if you're trying to put yourself up as a credible source, you <laughs> You wouldn't admit that you were so uneducated that you didn't know that ghosts don't cross the water. <laughs> and so just that little story there, where it's that kind of God uses the foolish to confound the wise type thing.
1: Well, then there's the account in Mark where it, it, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and one of the, the apostles runs away naked and they believe that that was Mark, <laughs> that Mark was referring to himself. You know, why would he tell the story of his own cowardice that left him so, so out of his mind? He he runs from the scene naked. And right. so the, in Peter, you know, he never comes off looking particularly good whenever he's talking to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this becomes the leader of the church, you know, <laughs> and uh, this is, and to to include these things where the human participants are so flawed, it makes no sense when you stop and look at it critically. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and that's where I think you know, we talk about not making heroes about er- out of everyone in our Bible. That the hero ultimately is God and God alone. And mm-hmm. we 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 we've got to stop acting like these people had it all together because they didn't. So. And I do go back to the movie again, that this interaction with uh, Lee Strobel and his dad, uh, you know, this is a huge part of anyone's idea of God is who was their father. How did he treat them? What wounds did he leave them? How did they, you know, all of that uh, comes into play and it, it always is. And I think you know, psychologists for a long time have acknowledged that their parents have such a huge impact on how we see ourselves as a person and yeah. how we you know react to the world around us. So you know it makes sense that is true also in matters of faith. And so I, you know, I don't think we're ever going to do away with the parents' um, influence on how we view God, but I think we need to at least be honest enough to recognize it. And I thought it was pretty vulnerable of him to include this this father um, element in the film, because, um, you know, this is very this is very personal. And this is one of those issues that a lot of people don't discuss willingly. And so the fact that he included it, I thought was pretty brave.
3: Yeah, I think that's what my uh, my
2: therapist told me is like, yeah, it's interesting. Every time you talk about your dad, you make jokes. Uh, do you want to be serious about it? I'm like, okay, I gotta go. If, <laughs> if you're not if you're not gonna try to, you know, if you're gonna go there, then I'm just gonna walk out here and like. <laughs> and I know I'm joking about it, and the reason I'm joking about it is because it's true, and I don't wanna, you know, be serious about this. But yeah, it's that's kind of what happened it's really hard to talk about that aspect of your life
0: yeah like the the meme that i saw the therapist you use humor to deflect how how you feel a lot thanks what do you (laughs) what do you mean i just heard you say i'm really funny
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's how you deal with it right (laughs) oh man Yeah.
0: yeah that's that's how we dealt with it Moving on.
1: Mm. Speaking <laughs> yeah, being vulnerable
2: hey, and uncomfortable,
1: uh, hey, he misses his wife.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, well th- this is uh, interesting because, again, he's, Lee Strobel is, you know, he's collecting the evidence. It's all pointing in one direction. What am I supposed to do with this? And his atheist friend says, I don't know, man. It doesn't convince me. What do you want me to tell you? Like, that's what I find great is that this atheist character says, yeah, I know, man. I don't it doesn't I I don't believe it. I don't believe it. If it convinces you, what am I supposed to tell you? I'm not telling you to not believe in God or that you're a liar or anything. I'm telling you, believe in what you want to believe, man. Like, follow the evidence.
1: And I love the fact that he's like, don't let this you know, don't forget that you love your wife in the middle of all this.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: And, and pushing him back to remember that. And I, I do like the fact that you, you had that scene kind of juxtaposed against, you know, cause he says in his opening speech that that guy is like his father. So you've got the two parental figures that are the father figures of his life kind of playing mm-hmm. off of each other. So you've got the one who's like supportive and offering great counsel and great advice, but then you've got the the one who's distant and can't seem to connect with his son. And you can see why this would lead to a conflicted view of God. If this is what Lee Strabel's real life is like.
2: I think I I made that joke that uh, I didn't, I didn't start believing in God because I needed a second father to tell me that he's disappointed with the decisions I made with my life. <laughs> it's funny because yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, I I really do like this kind of juxtaposition that they have here, and yeah, and at the end of the day, the other father figure, the guy who's teaching him or who's you know who he goes to as, well, you're the atheist. Tell me what to do. At the end of the day, he's telling him. It doesn't matter, like make sure this doesn't ruin your marriage, like what are you trying to do here? Mm-hmm. Go back to your wife what are you like yeah we we can argue about atheism all you want, but at the end of the day, go back to your wife. that's what matters more
1: which, which I think it's kind of interesting too that in this movie that the fidelity to the to the marriage is coming from, you know, those people, the the the, the atheists who they don't value relationships and they don't value the sanctity of marriage. and and so I, I did like that that is being brought out. and kind of like what you were saying, but just the fact that so often you know we villainize atheists in our in church culture, which Is ridiculous. Um, You know, are there hateful atheists, of course, but, you know, I probably know more hateful Christians. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's, Mm -hmm. you know, people, you know, just people on a different spectrum and on the same spectrum, and you're going to run into different people on the, in that spectrum all the time. So.
2: Right. Um, There's that, um, there's that thing that I try to tell people is when you're, when you're thinking about things, if, if an atheist gives you a piece of evidence, don't just dismiss it as like, nah, nah that's dumb. Say, you know what? That's a good point. I got to think about that. Mm-hmm. Like, just because you disagree with them doesn't make that they're making really good points. And that's how you strengthen your faith is by dealing with that. Don't dismiss it. Mm-hmm. And that's how, in fact, that's how you convince other people. It's by saying, yeah, you know what? That, you're making a good point. Let me think about that. Let me wrestle with that. If you just dismiss it, then you're not disproving them. You're actually kind of proving their point if you do that.
1: Right. I, well, and that's, I tell people all the time, you know, I don't know is a legitimate answer. Right. Uh, and we as Christians, I think one of the things, uh, you know, the old joke, Jesus is always the answer, but we need to know what the question is. And we need to know how he becomes that answer. Mm-hmm. And if we don't understand how he answers the question, then just screaming Jesus at somebody isn't going to help anyone. So I, I'm totally with you on, and I know Nathan is too, you, you engage in those conversations. And the thing is, I, I have had this philosophy for, for most of my life now, a faith that is not strong enough to be questioned is not strong enough to build your life on. And so, you know, I, I'm constantly asking, does this prove, does this this disprove, do I, do I need this to be true or not in order for me to hang on to my faith? And, you know, and I, I went through a, a real period of not wanting to be a Christian and not wanting to be associated with the church because of some of the hurt that was dealt to me by Christians. Uh, and I really, really wanted to debunk the Bible a lot like Strobel did. And I I did a lot of reading. I read a lot of the criticisms about uh, why we couldn't trust the Bible and why it wasn't true. And the the thing is, what I kept running into with all of these arguments, uh, when you actually went back and read the text, you understood the cultural context and the historical context. That most of the things that people have a problem with the Bible over don't hold up. It, what mm-hmm. they really have a problem with isn't the Bible; they have a problem with the traditions surrounding the Bible. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and and that's actually it was kind of interesting. I was listening to uh, who was it? NT Wright. <laughs> it's a good, good person to listen to. Good resource. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Ask NT Wright Anything podcast has been amazing. So. You, want something good to listen to later, check that out. But the, um, he was talking someone, it was basically, it was dealing with, you know, the odyssey and the, just the problem of evil and, and, you know, how do we reconcile that? And he actually, you know, he said, you know, well, you've got this kind of chaotic evil, you know, I'm kind of, I'm paraphrasing. I'm probably bringing in some of my own thoughts to this, but, you know, you have this chaotic evil element in the world that you know, the the problem with wanting to try to explain it and give it um, a value that it doesn't have because evil doesn't need sense in order to be evil. And to try to explain it and try to give it a value that it doesn't have is actually kind of immoral and underhanded. And I'm like, thank you. That, that's a great articulation of what I've been feeling and inclined to think, but I was just, I was just blown away. So oh, are you man. saying logical
1: arguments work with the logical people or problems?
0: Yes. And I, <laughs> and I say that because you were talking about how a lot of times we try to impose problems on the text that aren't actually in the text. Mm-hmm. And if you understand the world and you understand the the culture and where the problems with trying to figure out the the, you know, the virtue of evil or the utility of evil then you're you're putting a problem on the text that's not there and so i thought that was kind of an interesting point so um has nothing to do with the movie but (laughs) i i wanted to throw that out there go check out uh ask nt write anything podcast later it's fantastic it
1: really is it's actually one of the few podcasts that i i look forward to so and that's saying something because I know a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but I I'm this conversation here where they're you Leslie's really kind of hitting this wall, uh feeling like her faith is not being effective enough. I I, I have to remind myself that this is a movie about new believers. Uh, they mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to kind of formulate a a mature theology. Um you know probably at this stage in their lives they've had one pastor one teacher uh who may or may not have been great um i is i know alfie is not the actual person in their real life that the name was changed and possibly uh one of those composite characters but um i kind of i have a problem with this conversation a little bit and it just it it's not um I I think it's too, too simplistic and it almost kind of comes down to, to superstition if I wanted to be real blunt. But again, I think that's the problem with, you know, it's, it's, they're new believers. And so sometimes it, they don't always have the most, um, well-rounded theology, but that's a process. I know there was a point where my theology really, really stunk. Um, it probably still stinks, but I'm hoping not as bad. So <laughs> growth is a, is part of this
3: process.
0: <laughs> I love that conversation. You need to see a psychologist. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I, I've and been told that yeah. my joke about some crazy needs, professional management is not politically correct. Um, but I've only <laughs> told that joke in referring to myself. So uh, yeah, psychologists are our friends just for the record.
0: Well, no, I was just talking about how that scene was funny because it was a misunderstanding because he was asking about
2: (laughs)
3: first century. Yeah.
2: (laughs) But yeah, this is another him trying to look at it to another angle. Like, okay, but what if all of this is psychosis? What if all of this is, you know, because again, people in cults, you know, believe in something insane. Mm -hmm. Couldn't that be the case here? And some people call early Christianity, a cult, you know, it's not like in, in the it's, it's in the Bible. It says that, you know, you know, we're following the way
3: mm-hmm.
2: that's what they called it. And yeah, it's these 12 guys who were following this other person around and then they went to 500 and what do you call that? And, and so that that's the angle he's going to, because in, in his mind, this cult mentality could be it you know at, at the time uh the with Jonestown massacre mm-hmm. was new it you know it had just happened several years ago, so it's could this be it for a non-believer it seems similar
1: yeah I, and you know that's that has probably been the one argument i I probably entertained the most during my days of skepticism was, you know, Mm -hmm. okay, do you just brainwash enough people into thinking this is right or this is what happened? And, but when you begin to study, and I, I think this is one of the places that the modern church has fallen down on. We don't study the martyrs. We don't study what the people right after that death and resurrection were willing to do. And, and to go through. And even, you know, those in the Bible, I mean, when we talk about Stephen to, to be stoned to death was a horrific death. Mm-hmm. It, it was awful. And yet yeah. he, he was willing to, in, willing to endure that John on the, the Isle of Patmos in, in exile, awful existence. And, uh, you know, then we, we have the stories about how the rest of the apostles died. And, and, why in the world, I mean, if you have 11 men, because Judas is already dead at this point, if you have mm-hmm. 11 men all willing to die for the same thing, it, it would have to be the truth. I, I don't yeah. see any way, I, most of us will not go without a meal if, you know, if it's because mm. something's inconvenient. So... It just it doesn't make sense to me that um, eleven people and we we can start that small. You know, what's the old joke? How to keep a secret? You three people can keep a secret if If two two of them are dead. Yeah. yeah. So.
2: Yeah, that's and yeah, that's another thing that I can't wrap my mind around is that they met this guy and they (laughs) told him things and they showed him things and they saw him come back and again when he was executed they were like well what do we do now like cuz they didn't get it th- at the time yeah. they're like what are we going to do i don't know what to do he died like and then one person's like yeah but didn't he say that was going to happen he's like no that's <laughs> not what's supposed to happen and yeah and, and but then when he resurrected and he you know they they went out and they told the story and people told them well do you want to keep telling the story or do you want this rock in your head Right. It's up to you. And they're like, I can't deny what I saw. Mm-hmm. I can't deny that this is what I experienced. And then other people watching that are like, wow, maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe this makes a lot more sense than we thought. Because it's not about other people drinking poison, wearing black sneakers. It's people <laughs> killing them. It's people tell, giving them the ultimatum, shut up or I'll kill you. And they said, I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. And yeah, it's, they're telling the, like, I, I don't know what to do with that other than believe them.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Paul himself was stoned three times. Mm-hmm. I, that ah,
2: geez, I know. To,
1: to go through that. And so when they said they were going to kill them, I, you know, we kind of toss that around as an empty threat today. I want to kill you. At this point in time when somebody said I'm going to kill you, it was it, they meant it. Okay, maybe that's back and in my was, day when I was it, more of a kid. Yeah, and <laughs> like, and it was do going you just to be toss badly. that around as
0: an empty threat?
3: <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I've heard it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's, yeah, I'm so mad I could kill him, you know, I, that kind of thing. But okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy cut me off in traffic. I could kill him. <laughs> it, it, I, I've heard that. I've heard people say that. But I mean, like, it, it's a legit possibility. And it's not just one random person that you made mad. I mean, like, these are entire cities mm-hmm. who are upset because of what you were saying. And so, you know, to imagine being that one person walking into a city making everybody mad. Maybe it's you and three buddies against an entire city and knowing that if you just kept your mouth shut. Fair enough. Yeah. You know? um,
3: um, okay. So and go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead.
2: No. Um, this is a part of the movie that kind of bothers me. And again, this is true. So it's not what happened bothers me. But okay, so he's following this case in which this police officer struggled with this suspect, a gun goes off, and the officer gets shot. And so now they took the guy's like, Well, then you shot him because you have you had a gun and we found the gun in the bushes. And he keeps saying, But I didn't. I didn't shoot him. And then, you know, so he you know, Lee Strobel writes up the story. He's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. A— the The officer is shot. You had a gun in the bushes. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this evidence, but believe in what the officer said. And then it turns out that the police officer had a pen gun in his pocket, and that's what went off. And it's illegal for him to have that. And so, okay. And it's not like the guy went ahead and told him that that's what happened. But then he goes to his boss and he tells him, yeah, it turns out he had a, he had a pen gun and his boss gets mad at him. He says, why didn't you look into that? I, I don't right. know. It seems like an insane thing to investigate. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't blame Lee Strobel for overlooking a pen gun. That Who's the, ever heard of a pen gun?
1: <laughs> that the police themselves missed.
2: Yeah. Or, or, yeah. You know, presumably. Right, like, uh, come on, ah, like he and he feels guilty about it, and his boss is yelling at him because he didn't find the pen gun. I don't. That's crazy. Who would think of that? Who would ever think that the police officer had a pen gun?
0: Now, who, and I want to know who in their right mind thinks a pen gun is a good idea to carry. Things gotta in I mean, your
2: pocket, right? He's not hey, a very look,
0: smart officer.
2: Hey, Tommy, I, look what I found. God, yeah, it looks like a pen. No, it's a gun that looks like a pen. And he puts it in his pocket. Oh, so you're just gonna put that next to your heart? That's what you're gonna do? You're gonna take a gun and put it next to your heart? Uh,. <laughs>
1: Now, see, I can see yeah, my husband going. Oh no, it's it's perfectly safe. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then he's wrestling with the guy, and it goes off. Oh yeah, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> okay, so yeah. his wife is being—and again, baptized. this really happened. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> well, I
1: was going to say that his his wife is being baptized, and I think this is uh, kind of the the crux of. Uh, Lee's problem with Leslie's new faith, because uh, the pastor here used the metaphor of marriage uh, for the baptism ceremony. Mm-hmm. And um, Lee does not like that. There is a an element of uh, jealousy, and he he feels like he is legitimately losing his wife to her faith, even though she has previously assured him that she actually loves him more than she did when she didn't believe. So right. I think it's kind of interesting that, um, that he's willing to admit that his problem with her faith isn't so much that she's leaving something new, but it was that he had to share her with God now. And so right. he doesn't make that claim specifically in the movie, but I think that's kind of what's, uh, what's presented.
3: Yeah. And,
2: Cause, okay, let's, let's tackle that. Uh, uh, marriage when one person believes and the other person doesn't can that work can that happen i i don't i don't know cuz again this guy's completely against it and this is something that's made her feel better i i don't know like if he weren't so against it could it work i i think it
1: can uh, i think it's not ideal but right. I know that there's been people I've known in my life who they were very well matched in other ways. And there was a level of respect that one spouse had for another that mm-hmm. said, you know, you practice your faith and I'm just going to stay out of it. I mean, I think it grieved the believing partner because they couldn't share their faith, which is of course, you know, yeah. if you if you really believe that's a huge part of your life and identity. Um, I don't think the marriage is. As fulfilling and and as uh, connected as it could be, if both partners share their faith, but it's um I think it's trickier, and you know marriage is hard anyway, so it, I don't think it's something we should uh knowingly engage in right, but um, you know if you're married and you know one converts and the other one doesn't, then the Bible does admonish us stay together uh, as long right. as the unbelieving partner's willing mm. Mm-hmm but um i i do think that there is a time that sometimes you you know divorce is necessary and i won't go into you know my story but that was just that was part of my my story was my husband was not a believer and there was a lot of other things going on and his his actions that were okay in his eyes as an unbeliever uh led to the marriage being dangerous uh so in that case obviously get out but you know if you've got a a good guy or a good woman who who is a decent person otherwise and believe it or not unbelievers can be decent people um then yeah respect respect them by by continuing to remain faithful to that covenant and i i think that's one of the things that uh you know comes out in the movie is it is leslie's ability to stay faithful and to continue to love him through all of this chaos that that speaks to him even more loudly than the evidence.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again,
2: uh, and that's kind of the thing about within marriage as she says, I love you more. Mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of like an important thing to consider that when you get married in Christ, you're living for more than just your own happiness. Mm -hmm. And it leads you to want to be better. Some people, you know, can't stay together because I'm bored with this. Right. Or some people don't want to stay together because, well, there's somebody else and they're better. In Christianity, it's kind of leaves you, no, I'm not married to you. I'm married to us. And this is much bigger than us. Yes. And so you strive to be a better. And again, you can see that, no, it's them. But what Christianity will do is it will tell you, like, I need to be better. I'm messing up. I need to strive to be better, a better husband, a better wife, a better partner. And yeah, I think that that's the good thing that Christianity can bring to a marriage.
1: Absolutely. I I think that one of the things that, like you say, it it does. I think. Okay, let me try that over again. I think one of the things for a successful marriage, at least in my experience, is sometimes I've had to be more committed to the idea of marriage and more in love with the idea of what marriage represents and the ways that it teaches us things about God than I, I was in love with my husband in that moment, uh, you know, because he wasn't making me really happy. Uh, and, and so I know that's been very important for me to, to recognize that, that in our faith, marriage can bring happiness. I think overall it should be more happy than not. Um, but then, yeah, the, those those hard points, those lesson learning times where we learn to make room for the other person, we kind of accept that as part of the picture and part of the learning experience. And it's it's not the end. Where I think if you buy into you know the the fairy tale idea of romance then the first time somebody leaves the, the cap off the toothpaste, now this is oh my gosh, my world is ruined. I, I'm being, you know, using a lot of exaggeration right there. But it, no, yeah. it 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 helps to have that that greater perspective, that eternal perspective. Right. So and now we're actually at the part where we're talking about um the crucifixion and what that entailed physically. Mm-hmm. And...
2: Yeah, this is, and this is interesting because in the very first episode that we did of this podcast, um, I we did Passion of the Christ, and a big problem that people had with that movie, and a big problem that I had was how long the scourging scene lasted, and mm-hmm. it was rough. And so I'm talking to my friend Adam, who was you know who was my guest. And I'm like expecting him to agree. Yeah, this is really rough and maybe they should have skipped it. And I don't know what Mel Gibson was thinking, but no, he said, I'm glad they had this in the movie because this is the most accurate, this depiction of a scourging that, that I've ever seen in a depiction of, you know, Mm -hmm. a Christ Christ movie.
0: Of all the scourging descriptions, this one's the
3: best. (laughs) That's what you've
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I don't think we realize how brutal that was. I mean, so often we say, you know, there's some bloody lines across the back and it was so much more than than just a few lines across the back that, I mean, as the doctor was saying there, the muscles and the tendons are laid open and, you know, uh, Jim Caviezel actually Got hit because they they had a board on top of his back and were hitting the board with the cat of nine tails, and the person swinging the whip missed and hit him and yeah. hit, missed the board and hit Jim Cavizel, and he said it was the worst pain he'd ever felt in his entire life, and they didn't have the the sharp metal and bone and in, in that that they were using as a prop mm-hmm. so it's, it was a truly agonizing event. Uh, the crucifixion is, is not as pretty as we've seen it portrayed. Um, yeah. And I, I think we need to remember that. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's something that we need to take out every day and, and look at. Um, okay. I mean, I, I know I can't. I think that's just too much weight for me to to bear. But I think there's times and seasons when I need to revisit that and think about what that entailed. Um, and that's because for me, the death, as horrific as it is, uh, that's not the biggest sacrifice in my opinion. In my opinion, the right. fact that Jesus lived for us, that he gave up that place in glory, that he became an embodied man uh, and you know went through the, all the things that make us human, experienced all that. You know, death is a foregone conclusion for anyone who lives, and mm-hmm. so uh, for me, the life is probably, in my opinion, the bigger sacrifice. But if the death is a lesser sacrifice, then I need to be even more in awe of the life. I, yeah. I need to to recognize the weight and significance that carries. And I'm not trying to discount the 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 crucifixion by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying we can't wrap our minds around how much of a sacrifice the life and the death were together and so it's it's humbling whenever you think about it and the 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 cost that it entailed um especially when you realize that you know we're talking about holy god here
2: yeah and then here we have a scene where uh, Lee Strobel, as he's learning this, as he's growing in this, as he's trying to find the evidence around this, his father passes away. And earlier, uh, the psychiatrist, who was not a believer, says, I find it interesting that all of these ardent atheists, all these people who argue about atheism, had bad relationships with their fathers. hmm And so... I think the comparison that they're making here is that Lee Strobel had this terrible relationship with his father, and God represents a father, and he doesn't want to—and that's what his problem with God is. Yeah. And we were talking about that earlier, that, yeah, this father figure, we don't want any—we don't want to be a part of it. We don't want any part of it. So, yeah, it's—and now he lost his father, and he's— and his father tried to mend the relationship with him, and now it's too late
3: and yeah
1: well, and i what I love about this, too, is he's discovering right here that his father had kept this news clipping and and his mother tells him, you know that he he kept them all he he followed your career and, and yeah. it, it kind of foreshadows. The change we see, his perspective of his physical father changes because he misunderstood who his physical father, biological dad was. But then we're also seeing that shift with God. His Mm -hmm. perspective and ideas of who his spiritual father are shift and change because he had the wrong perspective. He didn't have the full story. And so it's a nice little parallel there with the, this understanding that who you thought dad was, the kind of person you thought he was, may not be accurate,
0: right?
2: Or at least is now, right? Because maybe he was a terrible person before, and now you don't want to forgive him for what he did in the past, but it looks like he tried to be better, and yeah, that's and that's a difficult thing to understand. Me having difficult relationships with members of my family. I don't want to, you know, believe that people can change, but I, I, yeah. And, and again, if a person doesn't change that, that, that doesn't obligate you to want to, to need to have a relationship with them, but in some cases. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, one of the huge misperceptions about, um, Forgiveness in the Christian faith is that we're supposed to forgive and forget um, we don't we're we're right. we're told to forgive, but we don't have to forget and setting healthy boundaries and maintaining healthy distances from people who are toxic is allowed in our faith um, but then at times I think we need to kind of check back in on those relationships and and you know when we're when it's safe for us to do so and it's healthy for us to do so and go okay should should I try to re-engage? And sometimes she should and sometimes she shouldn't. And that's going to take wisdom and discernment uh, on anybody's part to figure out when do you try to restore a relationship and when do you just back away from the
3: wildebeest? Right. What? And then
0: they... <laughs> it's, it, you use the wildebeest thing all the time, but it's really funny because it's from a Saturday morning cartoon from years ago that aired very briefly. Uh, it's it's, <laughs> it's just so funny to me that it's, I don't know how many people even know what you're talking about.
1: Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Just just roll with me on this. <laughs>
0: it's, just, it's just so funny to me This it's such an oddly specific thing that you... <laughs> <laughs> you just use it all the time,
1: and I can't even remember the cartoon. I don't so. <laughs> either.
0: that's the that's <laughs> the best part. So.
2: <laughs> so yeah, so in the movie, uh, the story that he was writing about the, you know, the police officer who got shot, who was uh, struggling with this with this uh, you know suspect. Uh, he what ended up with, as he was investigating the story. He realized that the, the person that the officer was struggling with was actually his informant. And so he wrote it in a story and people in prison found out and they like really beat him severely. And again, this guy, you know, he, he goes and he apologizes to this guy for the story that he wrote. And this guy says, you didn't see because you didn't want to see, which, of course, that parallels mm-hmm. the other investigation he's having. But again, if we're talking about this investigation, we're talking about a pen gun. (laughs) A pen gun? You didn't want to see a pen gun? Who is going to look for that? Uh, and I don't know what to tell you, fella, but I never thought about a pen gun.
0: Okay, back to the pen gun for a second. Apparently. <laughs> okay. I, I was going to mention this, uh, but then I, we, had, we had moved on. But I want to know where ballistics was with that, because that was obviously a right. twenty-two round in that thing. Right. Like, I could tell that looking. Right. I mean... A 22 and most cops don't carry 22s. They carry 38s and 45s because they want. And something. even
2: his gun wasn't a 22.
0: Yeah. And so where was ballistics on that? You know, because a 22 is going to leave a different wound than whatever the other guy had. Right. So.
1: But, but, uh, but that it also plays in because a pen gun being the answer is so unbelievable. That, you know, it, it's got Joe completely incredulous over there.
2: <laughs> well, I'm just mad that everybody is telling him, why didn't you notice that? Why didn't you look for that? Of course he's not going to look for that because it's a pen gun.
1: <laughs> but, the, but that's such a great analogy for people right. who, who you know, exactly yeah. you know, people who are not part of the Christian faith. Of course, they're not going to get some of the things we're talking about or understand it because it makes no sense. Yeah. From an outside perspective, it absolutely makes no sense. It, it is the penguin you know, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not the penguin It's the canon. But, you know, it, <laughs> the same thing. It, it's so not what you expect that you just don't see it. And right. I do love this conversation here because I, this just really boils it down. You're going to believe something. You, you're going to have faith in something. Right. And it doesn't matter what it is you, you've you got to figure out what what it is. I mean, I, I do believe it does matter what it is, but sure. Ultimately, um, whether you reject Christianity and decide to believe that it's not true, it's still a belief. And right. you know, if you I mean, believe Christianity is true, it's still a belief. And I think that's the reason, honestly, for me that. I think that we don't have all the facts in place, why we can't, you know, I think we get some great evidence that points us to the conclusion that Christ was real, the resurrection's real. But as far as, you know, we don't have film footage of it. We don't have, you know, whatever we would need. I, I don't know what that would be. Uh, what evidence would actually be great enough to, to say, yes, this absolutely happened in, in a way that anybody confronted with it would have to accept it Mm -hmm. but you know I I think part of not having that is so that we do have to have faith that we have to walk in that uh, belief area and not just knowing
2: so and 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 that's really a great part of this movie is that he, he was talking to his friend the atheist and he was saying yeah like I don't know like okay you have all this evidence great and you know." as an atheist i ha- like it it all takes faith mm-hmm. i don't believe and but then i can't explain all this other stuff yes you're bringing a bunch of evidence here yeah i don't know what to tell you about that my faith tells me that he's not there it's all a leap of faith mm-hmm. and he, and and again and this is what i love about this movie and again it has a lot of problems but he's looking for the evidence And he has all this evidence, and he's looking at, you know, whether Jesus was a real person and whether the resurrection was real, and could he have been alive the whole time? No, he had to die and resurrect. And at the end of the day, yeah, you have all this evidence. It it matters, but it kind of doesn't, because you have to have faith. Mm -hmm. You, at the end of the day, you have to make that leap. And that's what his wife was telling him. Like, yeah, I can't explain everything, but I have faith and that's what matters. You're, well, you're never, yeah, you're never going to be able to completely prove that God exists. You're not going to be able to completely prove that Jesus is real or that he resurrected you. At the end of the day, you have to have faith.
1: And what I think about is interesting is she was okay with asking a few questions. And having this experience where she recognized that faith was a life-changing event or substance, however you want to quantify it, where he is very much, he had to gather up all the facts and the data. Uh, You know, it's like she was open and ready to receive and and he was fighting it tooth and nail. But uh, it's a nice little juxtaposition to, to remind us that the journey to faith is not the same t- for everyone. I think it, it should lead us to the same location. I think it should all bring us back to Christ. But I think somehow mm-hmm. times when we get to Christ, you know, for some of us, that's the easy road. When I say easy, you know, you grew up in church, you, you had access to all the information. Uh, there was no real crisis of faith. And I, I had one professor who was uh, in his late 60s, early 70s, who he said, I never had a crisis of faith. He said, "I've always just known." And for him, believing was easy. And then, you know, I know people who've gone through just horrible, horrible times that God just broke them wide open, and that was the only way that they were going to to kind of be shaken back to to Him. And so, um, it, it's a it's a good little juxtaposition here with with Lee and his wife, right. And the moment of truth where he reveals what he's been doing the last few months.
2: Yeah, and, and, and you know, I got to I got to, uh, you know, criticize him a bit here is that he comes to his wife. He sits her down. He he spent all night somewhere else at, at the newspaper. <laughs> and then he comes home the next morning and he sits her down and like, oh, I have to confess something to you. Like, tell her, yeah, this is a good thing. <laughs> but no, <laughs> he comes home. Yeah, I've been traveling and I've been going around and you haven't seen me around. I have to confess something to you. And yeah, she freaks out a little bit.
1: I've got to say, she is probably one of the more patient and gracious women that (laughs) I have seen on film or in life.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then again, he and then not only that, but he comes up and he says, I've been investigating you know your faith, and I've been trying to find evidence, and even that bothers her because, you know, she's she's thinking that he's he's disproven something, and and again that that and that's what yeah I should go back to that what you mentioned before is that here we have a juxtaposition again she didn't need all this evidence she didn't need to go around and asking questions and trying to find the physical evidence and eyewitness accounts. She just believes, and he had to go through this route, and that's fine, but at the end of the day, yeah. And, and this is, yeah, based on a true story, he well, came to believe.
1: You know, I, and I, I think what happens in Christianity a lot of times is for the person who is willing to just accept and, and walk, take this you know, that first step in faith, I, they kind of look down on the people who need the evidence where the people who need the right. evidence kind of look down on the people who just accept and have faith. Mm-hmm. And neither way is wrong.
2: <laughs> you know, I don't, right. I,
1: I don't think that that needs to be a division we have in the body.
2: Right. And, and yeah, in the Bible, you have different people coming to faith in different ways. Right. Absolutely. Some people were given this, you know, Paul and Paul has different ways of preaching to different people. Mm-hmm. And some people were baptized. Who is the guy that uh, told the king to go and dip himself in the river seven times?
3: Uh,
0: it was one of the prophets. Elisha. And we talked about we talked about this quite a bit. Was it Elijah? Elisha. Elisha. Yeah. We talked about this quite a bit. Who was the, uh, what was the general's name? Na- Naaman. Naaman. And
2: Naaman. Was it, like, we are yeah, the general. Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, he says, really, it's that simple. I expected something more. And he's like, yeah, but again, you don't have to dip yourself seven times. That's how he did it, and uh, somebody else, you know, there's no one way of doing it. And Uh, yeah,
1: that's I think kind of a a mind boggling idea for a lot of Christians who, especially, were told that you know there's this very rigid structure that you have to adhere to. um, That God does make concessions for where we are as individuals, and you know. this is a journey and we aren't supposed to just you know we we say this prayer or we attend the service and then all of a sudden you know we're a fabulous christian it, it it's a work in progress and that sometimes it it takes a while for us to to kind of arrive i don't know if we ever fully arrive this side of heaven i probably not i'm, um, I'm skeptical about that
0: <laughs> well you know yeah
1: the other thing about that is good news for us. Uh, we aren't that far yeah. behind then. Uh, so, you know, but the idea that, that God will meet us where we are if we're just open to meeting him. Mm-hmm. I, right. That's, I think that's huge because I think a lot of times we as Christians go, oh, well, you know, you've got to say this prayer and you got to walk the aisle and you've got to, uh, you know, are there certain things that you do as evidence that your faith is real that you know faith should should lead us to uh, obedience and yeah i was watching actually i have a granddaughter uh, and that's still crazy but i was <laughs> watching her the other day and she's trying to figure out how to crawl and you know she's just a baby but even as a baby there's still that impulse in her to to move forward and to develop and to gain a deeper understanding of the world and so, right. even as baby Christians, we should have that impulse, that desire to, that, and drive to to develop and gain a greater understanding of the world. And mm-hmm. you know, if we, you know, if we do that as you know, new, newborns as human beings, uh, in our physical senses, mm-hmm. it should be just as true in our spiritual sense. Yeah. That's
0: the thing I've, I've said for a while is you know like you know, Jesus says to in order to to enter the kingdom of heaven you must be like a child and you know a lot of people think oh that just means blind faith that you don't you you just believe whatever people tell you And I'm like no have you ever been around a kid why like, why why is that <laughs> how does that work why what's this do what <laughs> and and you have to be willing to to learn and grow and I think that's really more of what Jesus was saying than anything.
1: Okay, so I've got to throw this out there because recently you made the statement that if you opened your mouth to speak, that your oldest daughter would come flying across the room just to be there (laughs) and to to ask a question when you tried to say something, you know. And even that it should be a trait of a new believer that we're we're trying to to understand that dad's home, dad's speaking, I I wanna be there and I may be even interrupting what he's doing, but I still have to ask this question to dad. So, but I, I do think it's interesting here that, uh, in the movie that he is, uh, you know, he wants to print the article, he wants to share his research, but we can't do that in a newspaper and still maintain credibility. (laughs) Um, and that's kind of sad that the idea of faith is not credible. Um, yeah. even whenever what he wanted to present was his research, not necessarily, uh, how to believe or how to think about something, but these are the facts that I've uncovered.
3: Right.
2: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and again, and this goes back to something we were talking about earlier is some Christians, you know, they struggle with the idea when, when young Christians go off to college They have to prepare them and they have to think about, oh, there's going to be this, you know, there's going to be people against you and there's going to be you have to prepare. And I don't know, like at at some time, you know, it's almost like thinking that God can't handle it, that, that, you know, that God can't uh, stand up to scrutiny. And you kind of have to. Yeah.
3: There's
1: definitely that mindset. And and unfortunately, the reason why that happens when we have that college uh, transition, it's because we haven't been talking about this stuff before. There hasn't been that preparation. And, you know, we haven't been talking about the hard things in the Bible. We haven't been talking about what faith looks like when it's lived in the real world. Uh, We haven't presented a realistic view of what the world looks like. And I think Sometimes as Christians, we, we make the mistake of thinking we need to defend God or, you know, try to keep our kids away from um, ideas about the Bible that might be presented by opponents. And the thing is, you know, usually if, if you, we will stop and answer our own questions about faith, then we have the, the security to answer their questions. And some of the parents I most admire are the ones who said, Hey, you know, my kid came to me today and said, Hey, the Bible says this and this part and this and that part. And they don't know how it goes together. And I don't either. Can you help me out? And I think those are going to be the kids who wind up hanging on to their faith, even through those college years. So yeah. we are winding down the movie now. We've got some nice little postscripts here
3: and yeah. some Polaroids. So, <laughs> 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 But...
2: Yeah. So,
3: uh, do I? Yep. I was just—I think it's kind of
1: interesting that that he did leave journalism to become a pastor.
3: Because mm-hmm. he was—you know—he'd won several awards at this point. I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's would he have done better as a? I don't know. It's wherever God calls you, I guess. <laughs>
1: And God's got a funny sense of
0: humor, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like his hair better this way, though.
2: Yeah, that's true. I, the big pharaoh faucet hair he had the whole time—you
0: know—didn't work for me. I, I tried not to mention it, but man, <laughs> it just looked uncomfortable. Like, how can your right. hair look uncomfortable? That's what I want to
3: know.
2: <laughs> but that's that's all I got on that yeah well all right so uh, we, anything you wanted to add evidences the, the you know <laughs> discussions about uncomfortable emotional subjects about our parents
1: <laughs> no too early in the day joe yes too early in the day and i don't think i'll be speaking
2: to you again um so the, <laughs> i'm kidding
0: <laughs> um no we we uh I I think uh, I think that lays out a pretty decent case uh, for things. I I definitely I don't think this would be if I were if I wanted to convince an atheist, I don't think I would take them to this movie specifically. I might ask them if they're familiar with some of his work and uh, I might go more for the book rather than the the movie. Right. But I did think the movie was an interesting journey with Lee through this.
2: Right, and again, th- this is good for Christians to look at to see the basic bits of evidence that he found. Because again, this is like a Cliff Notes version. Oh yeah. And and Christians need this. Christians need to go and find how many manuscripts there are, how many witnesses there are. Is, uh, is by our bias sources reasonable to use? Yeah, kind of because of how many there are. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so go and check out this movie because it gives you a lot of evidence. And again, don't give people who don't believe the book thinking that this, that's going to convince them. Don't, right. uh, don't send them to this movie thinking that, oh, wow, it's so much evidence. You're going to be convinced. It's not going to because at the end of the day, they have to come to it their own way. Mm. And God's, God can do that. That's why we have to depend on God because He's the one that changes hearts, that melts hearts, that hmm. well, and maybe they won't. But
0: well, and and again, we you know we we look at this not as the end all be all. We look at this as a jumping off point to start a further conversation and to right. get some resources and to to help push us farther into study so that we're more equipped. Because here's the thing, uh, you know, I, I mentioned you know a lot of Christians are not. There's a lot of Christians who aren't familiar with with the objections, but there are many who are, and there there's a lot of us who go, "Oh, yeah, well, we've heard that before." But on the other side, there's a lot of atheists who have already heard our objections to their arguments and have not found those to be convincing. So we need right. to to be digging and studying and and equipping ourselves more, just like you were saying, Joe.
3: Yeah. So. All right.
0: Well, that being said, that's uh, a it's kind of our little. Take on the case for Christ. Yeah. And Emily, I think you have our social media if you want to give that I, out to everyone. I
1: do. So if you've enjoyed this and if you want to join in the conversation, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash the commentarians, Twitter at the comments pod, Instagram at commentarians pod. And of course, you can find all the episodes at com, where you also find faith and other oddities and change my mind with Luke T. Harrington. It's a blog post and some other fun stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Joe, we are excited to have you back in the game.
2: Yeah. I'm glad to be back on my feet out of bed, you know, still healing, but yeah, good enough to start podcasting again. So yeah, I, I feel great.
0: Excellent. Well, Joe, thanks for joining us. And, um, We'll be back next month, or Emily will be back next month. She'll be hosting our Halloween episode. She has a special guest and a special Halloween whoop movie, whoop. which we'll tell you all about on the first. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone have a great week, great couple weeks yeah. till then.
2: Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go find a pen gun because I'm really curious about that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think you're going to find one in California.
2: Yeah, maybe
0: not. Black market. No,
2: so, if you know
0: where to find that kind of thing. So anyway, right. so everyone, thanks Call for joining. Call me jo- later, Joe. <laughs> everyone, uh, before we get Joe in trouble, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye.
2: Bye. You've been listening to the Commentarians podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives, of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.